Hello, and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh, and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about Sonic the Hedgehog and the photograph, and I am very happy to be joined by my friend Daniel Lima to talk about Sonic first. Daniel, thank you for being here. Uh, thank you for inviting me. Yeah, so Daniel and I are going to talk about Sonic, and in the second half of the podcast, I'm going to be joined by other recurring guests, Glisha Kosbakti, to talk about the photograph. Daniel might be able to stick around for that. That is to be determined based on some behind-the-scenes um, uh, scheduling uh, things that are yet to be determined, but we'll see about that. But I, we're going to start off going all in on Sonic because Daniel and I both just saw this movie. As many of you know, Sonic is the newest movie or one of the new movies from Paramount from director Jeff Fowler and writers Pat Casey and Josh Miller. It's inspired by the Sega video game character Sonic the Hedgehog. And in this version is a live action with a CGI Sonic character. We pick up in the movie at a point that's like an hour and 20 minutes in the movie. But then we flash back to when Sonic is young. He has to flee his home planet because people are onto him for his powers there. And he has to make sure no one can ever figure out who he, who he is or that he exists so people will try and steal him. And he ends up settling in a town in Montana called Green Hills, and he idolizes the local sheriff, Tom Wachowski, played by James Marston, who I will refer to as James Marston for the rest of this podcast because he's James Marston, and I want to do it that way instead of trying to remember his name. And he, he he's the local sheriff who aspires to bigger and better things. He's going to uh, move to San Francisco to be a cop where his wife can be a vet, who is played by Takeda Sumster, and that's where her sister lives. And uh, But then before they actually have a chance to smoothly make that move, Sonic bursts into their lives after he has drawn a bunch of attention to himself by causing a big power outage, and he ends up needing to run away to San Francisco and with the help of James Marston to be able to find his magic rings that can transport him to another planet before he can be captured by the evil Dr. Robotnik played by Jim Carrey. Daniel, this movie was uh, a long time in the works and I didn't even know I was going to see it till about three days ago when I got the word that it might actually be good. This made a lot of news last year when the first trailer dropped, which I actually didn't watch till about 10 minutes ago. I just kind of took everyone else's word for it when that happened, and it was just such a public dis- relations disaster that apparently the Sonic looks so bad in the trailer that they had to, uh, the producers of the movie had to come out and say, I'm sorry, this is so awful, we're going to redo it. And I thought we weren't going to see this movie for another like two years when that happened. Uh, it just seemed like the kind of thing that might just end up going under the knife for a while, and they have to fix it, and then it would come back. And sure enough, this movie's out like less than nine months later uh and actually making a lot of money and getting pretty solid reviews so i guess i'll start by asking you one uh just because a movie gets some kind of big public controversy like that i feel like that would almost make you more excited to see it just knowing uh your sensibilities was that the kind of reaction you had were you excited about this movie and was that excitement somewhat informed by your relationship with the sega video game well, no, I wasn't excited about this movie at all. Huh. The public relations, the this, the stuff about the CGI, like, honestly, I'm not going to lie. A part of me kind of su- suspects that that was intentional. Like, they they released deliberately poor CG model in the trailer. Like a, like and a like, publicity yeah, play? Yeah, 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 like a bit of a publicity play publicity play you know i i kind of suspect that um from my understanding it's not like there were they were far in the process when that trailer came out anyways basically the only effect shot that were ready at the time the trailer was released was the shots that you see in the trailer so like i think that it was kind of a bit of a ploy to like you know drum up some free press about the movie did, you, uh, think, did that, you think the original CGI was that bad when you looked at the trailer? I really couldn't even tell if it was that bad. Yeah, people say that it, it doesn't look that bad. I, I 
I don't know how people say that. It does look pretty uh, okay. bad. I, I mean, especially as, I just have know, nothing to compare it to. You know, so like I'm fair like, enough, fair enough. Like I played the games as yeah. a little kid. You know, like I, I've been aware of Sonic as a character for decades. So when I see that, I'm like, it it looks wrong. It okay. looks off. Uh, you know, not, I'm still, you know, is it going to really like change my opinion of the movie? No, but I mean, it looked bad, <laughs> but you know, they went and they, you know, quote unquote redid it. And, uh, here we are with this Sonic that's far more, you know, it looks more similar to the video games, but you know, the, the, it's honestly like, a, 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 I don't really care. Now, uh, as for my relationship with the Sonic character, I don't know, like there's like a whole, you know, cast of characters and a whole bunch of work. Like, there's a mythology to it. I don't know that. All I know is that I loved playing Sonic on the Sega Genesis. I had, I don't know, I don't even know what games came out on the Genesis, but like, you know, I had a couple of them. I had the one where you plug in the other Sonic cartridge into the cartridge and you get to play as Knuckles. Like, you know, I remember the music. I remember the frustration. I have something of an inborn affinity for the character or the ip i suppose so when i mean given all that when you find out there's going to be a sonic movie are you like all right they're gonna really oh, oh, no, no, tug, no, no. tug on the heart tug on the heartstrings of 11 year old daniel and i'm so excited for that or were you just like oh wow this seems like an awful idea oh no it's, it, I, I figured it was going to be a piece of shit like, oh, okay a piece of shit <laughs> you know video game movies admittedly don't have the best track record i mean there's a couple that i quite like i think the super mario brothers movie from the 90s is actually quite good despite what people like to say um i liked rampage which is based on like a brawler from the 80s or 90s i think um but video game movies just generally aren't aren't very good and there's not i don't know much about the mythology behind sonic the hedgehog but you know it's a platformer where you're a really fast rodent uh and you you know, bash into people and creatures and <laughs> robots. And then you fight this big bald guy named Dr. Robotnik. And that's it. So, like, you're going to have to do a lot of work did in we, order did, to... Did we talk about Rampage? Was that a thing that we did on this podcast? I don't think we oh, did. Okay. But, if, but, I mean, if you want to do some retro reviews... Yeah, yeah, yeah no, no. We, 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 we don't have time for that. I, I just... I, I can't <laughs> I, can, I feel like I vaguely had memories of doing a podcast. On it. I just couldn't remember. But uh, I take I take your point that there's maybe not a lot of meat on the bones to pick off to, like, turn that video game into a movie. So how, what did you think of the way they actually set up this story? And did the movie ultimately end up working for you? Well, yes and no. Okay. See, the fact of the matter is, like, as you said, that this is like, you know, it's a buddy comedy with, uh, you know, Sonic the Hedgehog, who is voiced by, I don't know, Ben Schwartz, I think. Yeah, who I, yeah. I, I should have said that. Been, or I, may, I might have said that beginning, but it's Ben Schwartz as Sonic. And I, I mentioned James Marston and Jim Carrey. And I, he, I think he has the perfect energy for this character, for what I know about this character. Yeah, no, no doubt. Like, I mean, there's not I, I'm going to admit, I don't think there's much of a character to Sonic. I mean, maybe yeah, he's, I'm probably, he's probably the like at best, the third best character in the movie. I mean. <laughs> but, um, you know, like, you know, he teams up with James Marston, who's this, this small city cop, which, by the way, I will say I appreciate that. Green Hills. Green Hills is the first level of Sonic the Hedgehog. Like the music is ingrained in the bones of like millennials. Like we we all know the score from green hill except apparently you you didn't play any of these sonic games did you nope god damn it son of a anyways anyways uh you know it's a buddy comedy between this alien creature and james martin this small town cop and you know there's like 
a little bit of a like thing about like, oh, you need to go protect your friends and oh, you need to stop running away from your problem. You know, like it's a bunch of like, you know, these sort of what's it called? Affirmism for that. Like, you know, you often see in like Aphorism? movies targeted whatever <laughs> of that you see targeted at children, you know, in these sorts of movies, it's, it's definitely more of a kid's movie than anything else. Mm. As for what it is, I mean, you could do worse, I suppose. Yeah. yeah you could do worse. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like when you have like a character as strong as Jim Carrey's Dr. Robotnik, that goes a long way. And as far as like comparing this to what this movie could have been or what other movies of this ilk just poor video game adaptations could be like i don't know i just uh i i just got a kick out of it every time he was on screen just like oh just sonic bouncing around rooms i mean i guess there's a limit to how entertaining that actually is but like i mean i just was like really here for uh jim carrey doing his thing oh yeah absolutely jim carrey plays you know the villain from the video games dr robotnik who i i think in the video games wants to capture sonic I genuinely don't know. Again, no story. But here he's a government scientist who wants to harness Sonic's speed power. And uh, he's just hamming it up. He's going all the way with it. He's really digging his teeth in. And he is having so much fun. And the movie comes alive whenever he's on screen. There's like <laughs> there's a dance sequence oh in God. the movie when he's like trying to just do working in the lab, trying to, you know, figure out what Sonic is. <laughs> and it is it might be. It might end up by the end of the year still being in my top 10 favorite scene. <laughs> so like when the, the movie comes to him, he has the right energy for this movie, for a movie like this, a silly, goofy video game adaptation. It's honestly not dissimilar from something like Super Mario Brothers from the 90s. Some people can, might hear that and think it's a diss. It is absolutely not. This is silly bullshit and it should be treated as silly bullshit. The problem is I think that for the rest of the movie, it's, it, it is like a – a blockbuster aimed at children. And so there's a lot of dead space. There's a lot of like, you know, uh, humor that is really aiming for the lowest common denominator. You know, some of it works, some of it works, but, and it's, you know, buoyed by, you know, not to say that Ben, Ben Schwartz and Marsden are, aren't, aren't not as good as Carrie, but they're charming enough presences. You know, I always like James Marsden whenever I see him. So they managed to carry some of that, you know, kind of you know rope material but yeah it, it certainly is just bog standard kitty stuff until uh jim carrey comes on screen yeah and i think that's the big thing is that like that jim character carrey character like me i, I could I, I guess when i saw that jim carrey was going to be in this movie and doing something that's a little more uh vintage jim carrey than what we've seen from him in recent years i just kind of thought i just kind of thought that it was going to be just him being completely over the top 100 percent evil wacky one note the entire time but like it's clear that he has a very good grasp of what he th that character is and it's not something that's quite that straightforward it's a guy that like is has all this bluster and just thinks that you know uh he can cover up all of the insecurities that he has in life by putting on the meanest most asshole-ish kind of face and treating everyone like a dick but He's like so preoccupied with doing that that he makes mistakes at his job and that causes that facade to crack. And it's just like it's like a very specific thing he's doing that's not as broad as I expected. And it just made it so much more fun and unexpected than what I actually thought I was going to get. And I just that made it such a pleasure. Absolutely. You know, that character actually something that I was thinking about watching the movie. It has a weird 
anti-intellectual edge to this movie. <laughs> Did you find that? Like the, uh, the, the, what, what scene are you think comes to mind when you say that? Um, everything with Dr. Robotnik, okay. actually, because, you know, the, the 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 main like, I guess, source of tension between Sonic and and James Marsden's character, uh, you know, tension being a relative word here. But it's that James Marsden character, he wants to go and go to a big city, San Francisco, where he can be a cop and like actually be in charge of something more than just, you know, helping out these small town citizens with their day to day tasks. And, you know, Sonic as someone who has been running his whole life away from people trying to harness his powers, uh, he's like, why would you want to do that when your town is so cool and there are people that you care about here who depend on you? You know, and, you know, here comes this Dr. Robotnik character who looks down his nose at all the people yeah. in this movie, who looks down the nose at, like, the simpletons that live in this small town. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, of course, James Marsden realizes that, you know, the real journey was the friends he made along the way, and he goes <laughs> back. He abandons his ambitions in order to live in this small town, proving the, you know, villain wrong for, you know, wanting to be, like, really smart. You know, like, it does... Makes the case for the Heartland. It makes a case for the Heartland crowd. And, and well, you know, not that there's anything wrong with that, but, like, it does so in a very distinctly uh, anti-intellectual way, well, on, I felt. Kind of going off of that, one thing that I, I wish I could say I took take credit for picking up on this, but I was listening to the, the Gruson and Leech, Leech podcast on my way back from the movie, and uh, a point that they made, which I, I don't actually know – I don't think they're making the point that this was intentional because uh, I'm looking at the Wikipedia now. And as we know, Wikipedia is always right. In early 2016, the guys that wrote this movie like were announced as the guys that are writing this movie. This is early 2016. And I'm watching this movie and I'm like, look, I know it's a kid's movie. Like you got to suspend disbelief, but they're trying to have like these war room scenes. And they're just they're just expecting me to get on board with the government calling in this like crazy Dr. Robotnik guy and just thinking that's going to be a good idea to put, put well, there are people that like question it but the fact is like they allow this to go on they allow this guy to operate with very little oversight shooting up uh, civilian houses and whatnot and not actually calling him back from the, out of the field and i'm like wow this is kind of ridiculous but then that then it, but then at the same time you think about it it's like wait like what kind of people has our president been like putting in positions of authority and uh really empowering and i'm like wow this is almost too real this is like maybe <laughs> speaking to like some of the people that we have running our country these days but then i'm like well maybe that i shouldn't give the movie that much credit because again it went into production in 2016 but it is an interesting thing to think about where it's like uh maybe you could read a little bit into it you know uh interesting take i don't think that i do not think that they put but it is a little too it. real i'm just saying uh, I, I suppose so <laughs> no i get you i get you death of the author and all but i also would say that like i also th- this movie has a very strange uh conflict within it in that it i don't think it knows who it's for it is for the most part a kid's movie it's got really basic messages that are you know feel good and aimed particularly at children the humor is very sophomore sonic you know. rips a fart at one point for sonic rips a fart at one point but at the same time you have like implications of torture you have all the stuff that you're talking about there's like uh uh i'm trying to think there was like one moment in this movie where i was like wait this is a this is a movie for children why are they why are they saying that but like there are i think that you know, the movie like the, you know that parents are here to see this movie with their kids. And you also know that people are here to see this because they remember growing up with Sonic the Hedgehog, you know, in their living rooms. And like it, it 
leads to, I think, a very uh, muddled, like, approach to how to make a movie about this character. You know, like, I, what, what do you what, I mean? What do you think? I mean, I don't know if they really had a great idea of what they wanted that character to be. There were times where I was like, well, I could have seen a version of this movie, especially with someone with Ben Schwartz's comedic sensibilities voicing him, where it was like 100% of the time it was like this very self-aware meta character and this version of sonic somehow is very conversant in pop culture and but at the same time he doesn't understand like some very basic things like the term kicking the bucket the terms basically i don't know now i'm like drawing a blank um i'm on like there there were a couple other moments where i was like that's like a very common sense thing that he doesn't know i mean maybe it has something to do around the yeah and it's meant for for comedic effect but like you know it, it it comes across. Wait, what? What? Are, what are we supposed to take away from this character and his problems? I genuinely, uh, I, I know that I'm overthinking it a little bit. Like it is at the end of the day, a movie for children. It is a movie for children about a blue hedgehog who runs very very fast. But like it also, I think kind of wants to take like the, the main character is accused of terrorism <laughs> and we're so like explicitly accused of being a terrorist and it's like. I mean, I don't know that children are watching it. I, I what's a terrorist? <laughs> Daddy, what's a terrorist? Ah, oh, shit, now I have to explain. <laughs> Thanks, Sonic. I didn't think I'd have to have this conversation coming out of Hedgehog. But yeah, you know, like, uh, it doesn't fully coalesce into, like, a uh, like into a singular experience, if that makes any sense. But, but I mean, like, it's a, it's a movie about friendship, though. I don't think it loses sight of that, does it? I, I guess I guess not, although it probably would have been stronger if it had. Honestly, there is a version of this movie that I think actually is pretty good. And that version of the movie is, I mean, I guess it's e- too easy to say, but that movie is directed by Lord and Miller. That movie has a bit of a more sense of a – this movie has a very – I believe, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Tim Miller was attached at some point or he's a producer on the movie or something like that. Hmm. Um, and this does carry that same sort of like – I am self-aware about what's going on, but also I, I think I'm far cleverer than I actually am. Hmm. And I don't know. It, 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 it still is better than I had expected. Yeah, what do you think of the action just in general? I mean, is it is it kind of just yeah. predictable? You know what that's going to look like because it's like, look, we get it. It's a fast guy. Or was there – I mean, we've seen that kind of scene before in whether it be the Quicksilver in the X-Men movies or I feel like with – I mean, other things that involve superheroes that can go really fast where – you know, I know. This is definitely just like they straight up do like the Quicksilver scene. And I, well, I was like, OK. I, but I still get a kick out of that anyway. Like I, I, yeah, can, I can simultaneously I mean, recognize it's not unoriginal but like – I still find that kind of uh, that little trick fun, regardless. I, I it works on me. Yeah, no, I agree. Although when they did it twice, I was sort of like, "All right, guys, I mean, come up with something else." You know, we've all seen the Flash. I, actually, I don't know if everyone's seen the Flash. That's a CW TV show, but um, you know, like I, 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 the action is still like better than I would have expected from like a I, what what what's this like under a hundred million dollar budget kids movie you know like it, it, it's still decent enough uh 
even if it is kind of unoriginal, but nothing ever really grabbed me and like nothing's going to make like my end of the year list of greatest action set pieces or anything like that. Trying to think if there's anything else. One thing I will say I didn't I did appreciate because I before we were coming on, I kind of I referred to the movie as PG Venom, which is a good and bad thing because I'm very mixed on Venom. But one thing I think that it did kind of take from Venom, which I appreciated, was that even if they didn't get the give the female lead very much to do, it didn't turn her into a wet blanket. And I guess it might be generous calling Takeda Sumter's character a female lead because she really doesn't have that much screen time. But, like, I thought it was going to be, like, her just, like, scolding the man for going off and engaging in the movie's adventures. And that would be the extent of her screen time. I think you're you're being a little too generous about the movie because they do have that character. It's it's Takeda. I like how it's played for a while, so she's just sitting on shitting on James Marston. Like, I actually got a kick out of that, but like, I was like, at least they just kind of like had her buy in for like the last like 25 minutes of the film, and she was like kind of there for it and like happy to help out with Sonic as opposed to just like being mad at the man for going and having fun. Which is, uh, I would, I don't know. Okay. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't quite give it that credit. Okay. <laughs> she's barely, she's barely anything in the movie. She doesn't even, ultimately, she's a veterinarian and she doesn't even have the opportunity to like do that. <laughs> it turns out that Sonic's just tired. So, you know, like it, 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 it yeah, like yeah, I I wouldn't give. I it. don't think it reflects poorly upon her veterinary skills that she didn't figure she couldn't figure out what was going on with this creature. True, but like <laughs> it does reflect poorly on the skills of the screenwriter for having a veterinarian, like sure, be sure. Ta- get taken to like given like this creature to like try to heal, and then not being able to do anything. Yeah, and so you part of you just well, why is she there if you're just gonna have her be there? Yeah. Any favorite jokes? Uh. I I feel like there there were a couple that I was like okay that made me get chuckle a little bit but I nothing and nothing that sticks with me any hours fa- any, after any favorite uh, Olive Garden shout out oh my god I forgot about that oh my god Jesus Christ how <laughs> much did Olive Garden pay for this movie I don't, I like don't there know. are multiple I hate when I see a movie and they stop the movie in order to have an advertisement about a chain like I mean look product placement's a thing. Finance your movie however you need to, but Jesus, God in heaven. This reminded me of that Boston Marathon movie where the movie stops to have a full scene about how great Costco is to its employees. <laughs> you remember that? Yeah, how great their healthcare was. Yeah. It, God. Anyways, yeah, that that was terrible. Though I will say about this movie again, look, I hate that movies get greenlit just on the sake on the on the expectation that nostalgia will carry it through the box office. Um, but as long as you're doing that, go all the way. Like Sonic the Hedgehog, for example, like it, these games have some of the most iconic soundtracks of any work of the past hundred years. And yet I, there's like a couple musical cues that are like lifted from the video games. I think toward the end, you get like a little piano rendition of the green Hill, uh, uh, theme song, you know, the, 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 song at the level but like you know like it it barely touches upon like that and i I, yo it's right there you own the rights you're making the movie come on guys throw me a little bit of a bone (laughs) at the very least come on 
Fair enough. I'll say I had two two jokes that are going to stick with me from the movie. The first being just in the middle of that climactic uh, final scene that they actually found time to like make a couple jokes, and I guess that's why they stick out to me. One being when it looked Sonic was just laying motionless for the first time, and and Robotnik goes, "All right, I hate to like have to be the one to say it, but like." Should we put some ice on him, save the organs, <laughs> anything like that? Which is like such a morbid joke to make at that mm-hmm. point. But also like I got a chuckle, yeah. But but also before that where they asked Sonic, uh, do you have any last words? Or he says to Sonic, Do you have any last words? And I thought Sonic's gonna be like, Tom, you're a great friend. I thought it was gonna be something really genuine like that, and he's just like, Guac. And that was always it's a good said. word. That's a good word. Yeah, <laughs> I thought it was gonna be um, something like very genuine and heartfelt, and he just says guac, and that made me laugh too. Fair enough. I mean, Jim Carrey again carries this movie. It's one of the best. It's gonna still by the end of the year be one of the standout performances. I'm sure. Yeah, it's just like I mean, he doesn't act that much anymore. I know he's done some TV stuff in recent years, and which is cool, I guess. But like, I just I, I or that he's this he had to do that show like Kidding. Um, yeah, I, I've never seen it. <laughs> and, and then, like, I guess as far as movies, I mean, like, he hadn't he hadn't been in a feature film in in four years, and I didn't see either of those. And Dumb and Dumber Two was in 2014, and the last thing that he had that was more than a cameo, which was what he had in Anchorman Two, was Kickass Two. And I and I and I like the Kickass movies, but that was seven years ago. So it's like I hadn't seen him act in a feature film in seven years, and I was like, oh, maybe he just wants the money and he's going to mail it in, and he he brought it. So I'm just like really happy that he and really impressed that he did. Uh, you kind of gave your final spiel um, about the um, about the uh, the nostalgia. Was there anything else you wanted to say about it before we wrap up? No, man. <laughs> I, I just want the sequel to just don't even have like an original score. Just use the music from the fucking games. I want Tails. I want Sonic. Throw in some Knuckles in there. Man, I'm ready for a good time. I'll be there if you do that. All right, there we go. And I'll just say again, I, this movie is a pleasant surprise. I can't disagree with any of the criticisms Daniel had or even the fact that like maybe Sonic could have been a more well-thought-out character. But it was just a really enjoyable time. And I think people that are like our age can even enjoy it, even if you're not just like an adult bringing your kids. So definitely uh, definitely give it a shot because we're in kind of a slow part of the year. There's really not a lot of great releases um, out right now. Last weekend was just this wasn't a lot there uh, we're recording this before like the the week of the the week of the 17th but like the this cu- coming weekend which will have been last weekend at the time anyone's listening to this is just like not a lot of great new releases so i think it's definitely worth giving a shot to but um all right hopefully daniel will be joining us on the other side for the photograph so stay tuned for that all right now we're back and we're also joined by Alyssa kush who is just with us on the to all the boys ps i still love you podcast but she was also seeing the photograph around the same time so i was really happy to have her join along with daniel because i've never had them here at the same time before Alyssa, thanks for coming back so soon hey thanks for having me i'm very excited to be back yeah so the photograph guys it's the newest movie from stella mcgee actually is it her first movie i think we talked about this it is not yeah it's not her first okay she did a couple others cool but this is like kind of her first big studio release really it looks like and Mm -hmm. uh it stars lakeith stanfield and Issa Rae as may and michael two young folks in new york city that are uh kind of come into contact with one another after michael who is a journalist ends up interviewing a an old boyfriend of may's mom and this part of the movie, guys, I'm kind of still unclear about what the hell his assignment was to begin with, uh, but uh, but he but he ends up uh, he ends story, up uh, story on uh, Katrina, I think the after it's a story on Katrina, Katrina, but then he decides I need to go track down the uh, the. Uh, 
ex-girlfriend of one of my sources that was working in the <laughs> in like the oil industry and then the fishing industry and the crabbing industry and it, it, the story just takes him all these kind of places and then after he starts this movie down in New Orleans he ends up uh, all of a sudden uh, meeting May who is uh, related to the uh, is is the daughter of the ex of the fisherman he is slash oil worker that he is interviewing down in New Orleans and yes it is that convoluted but then all of a sudden they uh, start a romance of their own and professional and personal uh obligations and their past and all that they kind of uh they kind of form a little bit of a conflict and barriers to maybe whether or not they can commit to each other and i mean there's not a lot else to say about the plot guys because it's really just like a traditional romance movie and it's something we don't really see all that much of anymore and i was curious i was was excited when you offered to step up and do this one daniel because i feel like it's a genre that we haven't really touched before when we've talked about movies but it's not really one i guess i would have talked about with anyone because i was just talking to Alyssa about Mm p.s i still love you like uh, a few days ago and that one was a movie about rom-coms which every, people always like to talk about like oh they're kind of like dying as rom-coms but like you still see a lot more of those that get a lot of publicity than you do like traditional romance movies so uh da- daniel uh what was your uh what were your initial thoughts when you saw the photograph and as someone that i feel like i don't know how often you like venture into this genre well, you know, I, I watch a little bit of everything. Yeah. Actually, we have done a movie similar to this. We actually talked about, uh, what's it called, If Beale Street Could Talk? Oh, shit. Yeah, we did. Yeah, that. we did, which is a movie that I don't like. Yeah. And I couldn't help think about that movie while watching this because, huh. you know, it's a, it's a you know, time-spanning, non-chronological order, romance between, you know, uh, two black leads. You know, it—, it it's similar in a lot of superficial ways. Mm-hmm. Um, it's better, I'll say that. I oh quite God. like this movie. <laughs> what? I quite like. I don't know. If, listen, you need, to, you need to get adjusted. There's probably going to be some Barry Jenkins slander coming. So just oh just yeah, prepare, oh, just, just prepare that. yourself. That's what that's a Daniel's move. Nothing <laughs> I love more. But yeah, no. And then genuinely, I do quite like this movie. Uh, you know, you I, I, the cast. You know, it's great. You have a lot of chemistry going on between Issa Rae and uh, uh, Lakeith Stanfield. I think that it's a movie that why what I appreciate about it is, like you said, it is like a standard romance. You know, there are comedic moments, of course, but it's very dramatic for most of the run. And uh, I appreciate the fact that while race certainly informs all that these characters are, it's not necessarily like the focus. It's not a movie about say black suffering, which is what Barry Jenkins, you know, loves to wallow in, in his works. But here, you know, it informs what, who these people are and how they interact with the world around them. It inter it infer, it uh, affects how they interact with one another, but you know, it doesn't make it, it's not, the sole basis of all their characters. Well, and another interesting thing you mentioned, just uh, the way it handled race in that regard, and a movie we talked about recently, which I know Lissa saw too, was Waves. And mm-hmm. uh, it, it tells a story about black people that are just in a different socioeconomic class than like ones that you see get told most frequently on the screen. Like, And that is something that kind of goes along with the, the Barry Jenkins movies you were referring to uh, when you made your previous comment. But like these people like live in dope apartments in New York City. They yeah. have they, they have they have they have good jobs and they're just living their lives. And like you said, yeah, it certainly informs a lot of what's going on in the movie, but it's not about that. And it just like tells a story about upper middle class black people, which I mean, uh, which is something I thought was interesting that Waves did, even if I didn't particularly like waves all that much and that's just a different kind of thing to see on screen uh yeah. L- lissa what did, what did you think about the photograph 
I know. I feel bad because I was the most recent one to see it, but I'm still processing, as you guys know. But just I think spit, I spit would, out the first thing that comes to your mind. I know. Well, the first thing that comes to my mind is I went in and I heard a lot of bad reviews, so I was going in like, oh, this is you know going to be a reviews negative. These are decent though. That's interesting. You, the bad stuff just jumped out to you, I guess. I don't know who I heard it from. It was a mix up between Letterbox and Twitter, and I heard bad reviews, but I was like whoa, I was like, okay, interesting going into it. I didn't read any reviews, but I heard the, I heard about the bad reviews and I finished that. And I was like, that felt cathartic. I was like, that was a really like, like a pretty well done film. But I think I'm, I'm wondering if it's because I went in thinking it was going to be bad. Cause as you, we've talked about before on the podcast, like that kind of skews my, my opinion sometimes. Understandably. But sitting through and thinking about the film, like I thought it was pretty well done and I actually liked the film and of course, I love rom-com, as you know, so that was a whole added factor, but I really like the photograph. I love Mr. Ray, and I love Lakeith, so... I think part of what also might have informed anyone's expectations going in was that I think that trailer, it almost gave me the... Like, even though I, I didn't have the same kind of expectations that I necessarily would for like something like If Beale Street Could Talk. I mean, I know you might, might have had high expectations for If Beale Street Could Talk, Daniel, but like as someone that actually really liked Moonlight, I did, and the word was the early word on it was good, but it looked like the trailer, that the way they tried to sell the photograph was like it might have the same level of melodrama as something like If Beale Street Could Talk, and it looked like very serious, the way they were flashing back, and it just looked like i mean and i'm sure this is something that's understandably drawn comparisons that a very reductive way of talking about the movie would have been oh it's the black notebook and uh just because it's like it's just a romance that spans across a couple of different times and that was just a way that people were referring to it as and i thought it was going to be that type of tone and i I'm, I'm, notebook might have a couple of lighter moments i haven't watched that movie in a while but I, it just based on what i thought going in and the way it looked like it tried to sell it in the trailer with some of these flashbacks and to like how serious those were in the earlier timeline i just thought it was going to have a slightly more uh serious tone throughout and i actually like found parts of this movie freaking hilarious and actually really yeah. light and funny. you don't get you don't get Lil rel if you don't want to make people laugh oh a little my bit. god he was so good he's, so he's just good. so consistent i mean and every and, and every every time he shows up in anything it's like yeah i get it you're gonna do your thing but like he's always like really really funny at that and it's i guess you know and i mean i guess the first time a lot of people really got familiar with them was get out which i mean another movie that also has lucky stanfield uh but like i don't know i found it really again that's just one thing that was just a pleasant surprise i liked the movie too like it sounds like you guys did and it was just a pleasant surprise to have that aspect of it but i think the most important thing in a movie like this if you're going to go see a straight romance movie is that you have to like buy the chemistry between the lead actors because otherwise it's probably just going to be like pretty unwatchable it's broken up into those two timelines where uh her mom is uh may's mom is christina played by shante adams and uh her father or her who we find out ultimately might be her is actually her probably real father but he's played by eon noel who who plays young isaac in this movie and he's actually plays daniel and insecure do you watch insecure Lisa or daniel either of you do i need to because i, I really to. like Issa Rae whenever i see her in a movie but i still haven't seen the show no yeah so it's funny the guy that plays uh the guy that plays young isaac he plays like the a love interest of Issa Rae's on insecure and he's like like the perfect guy that she for some reason is just like uh always finding an excuse not to be with so it's kind of funny that in this movie her mom is like running away from <laughs> him too when he's like this that is He's the guy from the first purge. I was staring oh, at this dude okay. thinking, man, who is this guy? It's the guy from the first purge. I've actually never seen the purge movies. I, it's something I, I, I kind of, I know, I know, I know. It's something I actually kind of want to do. And it's, it'll be, a, Bro, I'm sure there's going to be know, another, I'm sure there's yeah, going to be another there's one. A new one. Yeah. There's a new one coming out this year, supposedly. Okay. Then I'll, I'll, I'll binge all of them before then. And we'll do the podcast on it. Oh yeah. Well, that's do it because okay. I like the purge movies. I mean, 
the second and the third one are the best, but you know, I like, I like that series. Fair enough. But it's, uh, it was just funny that, I mean, I didn't know that guy was in him. It's just funny that he plays someone in insecure that Issa Rae keeps turning down and here gets turned down by her mom. Uh, but also, the old, the old version of him is played by, um, did any of you watch any of the Netflix Marvel shows? I don't know, but I know Rob Morgan because he was yeah. in, uh, he was in Mudbound and he was really good in Mudbound and he was in, uh, I mean, he was in like Last Blast Man in San Francisco and he was in, uh, Just Mercy. But I mean, I, I, he, he's in, he, he's one of those characters that floats through all the shows, right? Yeah. He, he played Turk. He was like this low, low level criminal who would just meet all these heroes. That, guy, no, and that, 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 that guy's a legitimately good actor. Um, yeah, yeah he's yeah, great. So, but like my point being though, like I, if you go the earlier timeline, maybe not as, not as funny, but I thought th- those two actors had good chemistry and it was an interesting spin on just like, you know, how, how a young couple might be forced apart by one's ambition. And I did see value in that stuff, but I mean, I think the, the more important part of the movie to me is the one that takes place in the modern times. And like, I don't know. I mean, I, I liked Issa Rae a lot, but I, I think it was, with Keith Stanfield, it was, like, pretty incredible. I mean, he's always yeah. really good whenever he shows up in something, but, like, he needs kind of proven his range a lot over the last couple of years with the kind of roles he's taken but like mm-hmm. to just be like all right i'm going to show you everything i've shown you the last couple of years where i'm super weird on atlanta i'm the straight man in knives out and i'm everything in between when you think of you know sorry to bother you or whatever uh here he's like i'm just going to be like a straight like love interest i don't mm-hmm. i don't have sex symbols the right word but it seems like a lot of people <laughs> think he's really attractive i've i don't know if i've ever really thought of him that way because he's I've just never so i never did before i think he sold me here Lisa. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, after this film, like, him and his little, like, hipster journalist outfit. <laughs> <I was>, <laughs> he's like, I'm trying to be a little yeah. smoother. Ooh. He's also, like, in Ooh, real life, he's, he's like, he's, like, six or seven years younger than Issa Rae in real life. And I, I just, I was kind of, like, aware of that. So I was, in my head, it's like, all right, wow, he's going to go into this movie and he's going to, like, have to convincingly romance this older woman. Because, I mean, maybe their characters are supposed to be more similar in age than they are in real life. But I just see him as someone that's younger than her because I'm aware of their ages and all that. Uh-oh. And... And and, and, I, and I was just like, wow, like, I mean, I totally buy that these characters would really be into each other. And I think he's really selling it. And mm-hmm. the movie kind of breaks one of my cardinal sins of like rom-coms or romances in general, where it's like, I don't want to be told that two people are in love when they've spent like, like a total of like 12 hours together, which is like <laughs> what happens in like a lot of movies. And it's just mm-hmm. like, look, you can like actually tell the story in a way where it's like you, you have enough scenes that are written together where these characters clearly click and they are and they clearly have time to like form a deep connection and instead you choose to like do this in a way where it's like the whole time where they like fall in love is reduced to a five minute montage or like <laughs> like a couple scenes like something like I, I don't know I saw Four Weddings and a Funeral last year for the first time and it was like it's a charming movie but like those characters spend so little time together and here it's like these people have like basically like the equivalent of three dates and I and I totally bought that they had that deep of a connection and that's just a testament yeah. to I think like their performances. Yeah, and I think it harkens back a little bit to like those '90s sitcom. I mean, rom coms like you know, you've got me. What's it, who directed Nora Ephron? Yeah. Like I think, I mean, from the little bit I've seen from those sorts of movies, like you know, like you know, these kids, you're relying mostly on like the uh, chemistry between your two leads in order to sell your romance in a believable way, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, this movie does that. Um, what did you think about the uh, how the two storylines connected? Because, like you said, you know. Uh, in the modern day storyline with Issa Rae and Lakeith, uh, she's getting over the death of her mother and he's kind of researching into their background. And, uh, you know, she grew up, you know, she was in love with her dad back in Louisiana 
and she ends up running away to New York. And, you know, you're getting this story at the same time. And I think the intention is to, you know, show how mistakes of the past, you know, we're afraid we're going to repeat our parents' mistakes and turn into them. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, it, they all these characters, you know, run into the same problems that they've, you know, uh, well, their families yeah. has dealt with in the generations past. And I, I, I appreciate what they're going for. I just don't know that the two storylines really connected in a in a non messy way. Well, I mean, it's funny the, the the title of the movie is the photograph and that photograph isn't really that important. I mean, it's like yeah, it catches it, it catches it catches it. There's the red they have they have the red room which mm-hmm. I guess is kind of meaningful and that that picture catches Lakeith Stanfield's eye at the beginning of the movie. And, and that's really about it. You get a lot more context for where she's from and what her like background and her family's context is and for him, you just get more of a sense of like what his day-to-day life is like. And I guess they both kind of accomplishes their goal where it's like you understand why she just it might just feel a little insecure, no pun intended, in their in <laughs> what's going on in her life. Because, you know, she, she's she, she's she's worried that she's going to just make the same mistakes her mom did, which is understandable. It seems like her mom just wasn't the best presence in her life. And it's a very understandable concern to have. Like, am I if, if, if you do feel like you're starting to get close to someone, are you going to, like, find some way to screw it up? So I for that, I do get it. And for him, like. I, I kind of I kind of relate to the idea. I feel like you might maybe you're in a professional rut, and maybe you need to get out of it. I, so I kind of think those different devices serve their purpose. His whole entire professional life. I don't think you really get a great idea of what an art cur- art assistant curator at an art museum does all day, besides like standing <laughs> in a closet like looking at photo albums. Um, but yeah. but for him, it's like I mean, journalism is a really um, fickle industry, and I kind of get like being restless and thinking like, hey, if I can professionally shake things up, maybe it's the thing I need to do to change my life so it's like i you, you got to kind of have something there to create the friction and for a movie that is a romance because otherwise it's like you're not there's no conflict and it's just these two people that have great chemistry and they're in love and there's nothing really st- like stopping them from being together so i kind of get it but at the same time it is a somewhat convoluted movie structure that i don't know if it really like i don't know if it really s- serves the movie like all that well and really feels all that necessary when it's just you have enough else going for it. I don't know. What did, what did you think about just having that structure, Lisa, where you're kind of just constantly flashing back to 1980s New Orleans? Um, I, I liked it and I didn't uh, And on the bottom line. Like, mm-hmm. it's just funny because people were, like, complaining about Little Woman's flashbacks and, like, these flashbacks were so much more, not confusing, but I felt at times there was, like, a filter on the flashbacks and sometimes there weren't. I th- I did like the flashback because I did, I did like it trying to relate to the future because, you know, it, I think it's true, like, how different generations inherit, like, you know, like, parents' ideals and we might do it subconsciously. So I was kind of getting that feel. So I did understand the flashbacks and I liked it, but sometimes it did get a little convoluted because, like, you're asking questions during the flashbacks and sometimes they weren't answered until, like, the very end. But I think I liked the structure for the most part. I think the... I think when it did get messy it made it a little bit more confusing, but I did like it trying to relate to the future, but I don't, I think it could have been a little cleaner. Yeah. I, 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 I don't know. So, I mean, I, I shit. I mean, I kind of already spoiled the big twist anyway. So whatever. here's the thing that I was so mad when I was like, Oh wait, this is supposed to be a twist. Cause I remember the trailer basically. Oh, tells okay, you. Like, oh I didn't, I, I didn't know. That. I didn't really watch the trailer that closely. Yeah. In the trailer, am I wrong? Melissa? like there's a, there's like a dissolve from like the young, version of isaac to like yeah. the old version of isaac and i'm like yeah it's clear that she, 
he's bad. Oh. The twist, yeah. I had a kind of feeling, but I was like, okay, I'm gonna not try to convince myself. Setting aside the fact that the trailer might have spoiled it, like, do you think that? Do you think it worked well for the sake of the movie? I mean, and her going back to him. I mean, it allows for you know this character who clearly, like you said, you know, she's had a bit of a disconnect from her parent, you know, from her mother. Um, and she's never really felt that she's gotten the love that she wanted from her mother, which affects how she's able to, you know, express her love in other situations. And, you know, this, you know, narrative construct allows her to have a conversation with somebody who really did know her mother in a very intimate way. And he's able to kind of contextualize her experiences for her. Uh, there's like a there's like a line in the trailer in the movie, of course, where he's like, she wasn't just your mother. And I think that it keys into this, you know, attitude that the movie has where like, you know, you're supposed to have a bit of empathy for the people in your life. Understand that they're they are, you know, playing out stories of their own as you play yours out. Yeah. And you have to be a little understanding of their own, you know, experiences and perspective. So right. I think it's useful in that regard. I still don't know that it it could have been cleaner. I agree with Lisa. Yeah. It could have been a lot cleaner. But I mean, I see what they're going for. And the fact is, I I like the fact any issue that I have with like the writing, I mm-hmm. it's overcome by the fact that I really love these characters and I love these performances. If I can add to Daniel real quick, I just want to say like kind of going off that to what we've been saying, like I think where the storytelling and like flashbacks might not be as clean, there's emotion for it. And I think that emotional part kind of makes up for it not being as crisp, if that, if that makes sense. Right. No, that may, it, 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 it does make sense. And I, I, I think any, any uh, hesitation I had in those flashbacks was more just because I was enjoying the, the present day so much. So I, was, I, I, I can acknowledge it was well done, but I was like always kind of, you know, just excited to get back to that. Daniel, was it just uh, Lil Ray or were there other parts of this uh, movie that you found amusing? You know, I like all the, you know, date scenes between Issa Rae and Lakeith where like, you know, she's at his house. I mean, he's at her house and like, you know, they're jamming out to some music. Oh, I'm sorry. I know that you asked me about the comedy, but I don't know how we got this far without talking about the music. Oh my Um, God. No. The score was done by Robert Glasper, who's this, you know, he's this young jazz dude. Uh, he interacts a lot. He does a lot of crossover stuff. He, you know, uh, co- uh, collaborates with a lot of R&B and rap artists. Uh, I think he produced, I think he might have produced like a Q-Tip album back in 2008. He worked on like, you know, he was worked with Kanye and Erica Badu and Talib Kweli. Um, he incorporates a lot of like modern sounds into his jazz. And uh, in this movie, you know, the soundtrack Unlike, you know, a, you know, white centric, you know, uh, who's that lady who does all the, I think it might be Nora Ephron. Unlike like a Nora Ephron movie, which is monochrome in like Mm. a number of different ways, including the music. I think that in with this movie, like, you know, it it provides a musical backdrop that uh, colors and adds a new like warmer texture to like the proceedings. It reminds me a little bit of... uh, uh, what was that movie? Um, Queen and Slim from last year <laughs> in the way that it uses black music to uh, uh, set the scene, set the setting, set the mood of any moment in the movie. So, you know, you're jumping around from like, you know, of course, you've got the New Orleans brass. You've got some blues. You've got some soul. Oh, you got some soul. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you have some, you know, you have Anderson Pock also. You have 
uh, oh, yeah. most deaf playing. Like mm-hmm. the soundtrack takes a wide array of different sounds in order to, you know, create this uh, musical landscape. And of course, that score, man, it's got like a very, very bass heavy. Yeah, very a, lot, a lot of movies and moody. A lot of movies like filming in Louisiana because they give you like the tax credits and stuff, and it's just like a common thing that places do. But I, I respect the fact that like if someone's gonna do that, they're gonna do it and like make you feel Louisiana by like actually doing the music well. Seems like you agree on that, Lissa. Yeah, I was gonna say Daniel pretty much took the words from my mouth. Like as soon as I heard "Come Home" from Anderson Pac, I was like, okay, this is gonna be a good, like uh, it's gonna be a good movie filled with good music. And then they had Al Green in there. Oh and, yeah. Like, on the on the on the album, I see Solange. I don't know if they they played "Stay Flow" from what I remember, but I was like, if they did have that, I think yeah. they did. I think they did. And then I remember that one part um, where it was the it was it was Robert Glasper's score. I don't know what song yet, but it was the part where she was finding out if I can spoil it. We've already spoiled it. Yeah, we're going for it. Yeah, she was realizing that that wasn't her father. And it was that like kind of like whiplashy, like drums, jazzy beat that was like kind of building up like crescendo. And I was like, this matches perfectly because that's what your brain would feel like if you were realizing that at the moment. So the music here, the added comedy, the, the hilarious bits and pieces, like I was dying at that part with uh, Lil, Lil Rel and his wife, and they were talking about, like, oh, well, what did you guys do before you came over after the storm or whatever? And, hmm. like, oh, my gosh. Just, and then, oh, my God. We, I mean, we mentioned Waves, but, like, Kelvin uh, yeah. stunned. Um, wait, wait, Kelvin? Yeah, I did not, re- I, I did not recognize. He, play, he plays Lakeith's friend. That's the intern. Yeah. And I, did, oh. I, and I, did, I did not know that was him until after the movie. And, like, he's one of my favorite young actors. And I guess it's because he's wearing a hat the whole time. And I might have <laughs> just, like, not just recognized that. him. He's wearing a hat. I yeah, think it might have been that. Be like, I'm really familiar with that guy. And I just did not realize it was him. And right? I, it was funny you mentioned him because I was going to ask, when I was talking to you about, about like, what stuff was funny. And I, I, I haven't revealed what I thought that, like, the funniest line I've seen in a movie in the last two years was. But <laughs> the, one of, the thing I laughed at the most after that was, like, just watching – Kelvin at the like when they're at the art museum and he's just like standing there and he's like so out of place and mm-hmm. just like the expression on his face and it's like he really shouldn't be there but like I mean ends up working for him obviously with May's friend but it was just yeah. hilarious where he's just like yeah I'm just the intern and I'm just here and he's like he's just like tagging along in this place with all these like really really hoity-toity people and he's just chilling and it was just hilarious looking at him dude um and Maeve's friend is none only than Hamilton's Jasmine Jones so the oh. full supporting cast. Yeah. Um, Chelsea Peretti. Yeah. Yeah. Chelsea Peretti. Um, this is like the first time I've seen her play like a, like a, like a, like a person, real person. you know, cause I'm used to yeah, seeing her. I'm used to seeing her as like this force of nature on Brooklyn nine, nine. And here she's just, oh. her, she's just playing the boss lady. Yeah. You know, I have she's, some questions she's... about that media entity that he worked for too. Uh, is <laughs> of course this... you do. Of course you do. I, I mean, I can't, I can't, I can't not comment on the media stuff when a movie does some media stuff, but this is 2020. <laughs> This is a media entity that. Wait, this movie was this movie set in like 2019, 2020? I don't. Part of me is this supposed to be like set during that hurricane in New York, or is this just oh. another hurricane hits New York? I know. I, I thought it was just. Well, I had some questions about the weather too, because it's like there's like, oh my god, this is hurricane. It didn't actually look that bad. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, but to be fair, we we all we're all from Florida. You know, right, true. New York's not as well equipped to handle something like that. I'd be scared as hell if that was happening in New York when I lived in New York. So I don't remember oh, anything okay. like that. 
<laughs> yeah, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, I guess my, my thing was that, like, you know, regardless of when it was set, I mean, if it was set when the hurricane came through, that was almost more, a more precarious time for media, like 2013 or whatever, or 2012. Like, I mean, I think some people have kind of gotten their shit turned around since then. Not everyone, obviously, and a lot, there's a lot of problems. But, like, this is, like, some kind of online website that can afford to send a guy to New Orleans to, like, go do God knows what and, like, follow random leads about, like, the, the girlfriends of sources about – stuff about the Katrina and the oil spill and like some whatever thing you can pay pays for two trips to do that. And this guy's like, all right, this is going to be a really big step in my career. If I go be an AP wire writer in London, like it made no <laughs> sense how he thought like that was the big step I needed to take in my career. I mean, if it was just like, I need to get a change of scenery, I get that. But they were like, Oh man, this is a job I can't turn down. You know, it's, it's, it's the AP. It's like, it's, yeah, the AP is fine, but it's like, you're working for a dope magazine in New York that can like send people over the country to do stuff. Like I didn't think it was really like you need to get out of that job. I thought that the I thought that the AP is just like you know like anonymous like the 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 reporters for the AP aren't they just like kind of a little bit anonymous uh, like they they just kind of send dispatches that other news stations pick up no they have bylines it's more just like you're stuck in one place the whole idea is that like if you're like an ap newspaper you can just like grab off you can grab the story from the ap writer in like let's say like a uh like an ap newspaper in like lincoln nebraska or something just thinking of a random city is like we want to run that story from like the gator game or something then there's an ap writer who who covers like he was like covers like stuff in Jacksonville and Gainesville and he'll cover the Gator sports. And then that newspaper can grab the AP story and put it over there. That's kind of like a very bare bones ex- example of what the wire is, but like you get your name out there a little bit, but it's not like you're getting great exposure. Like it's just a job. It's like a big entity, but like, it's not like uh, you're getting a lot of exposure cause you're just confined to working in one area because that's the idea is like you can be localized to one area and not paying for you to travel everywhere. Um, so you're saying what you're saying is what ruins what ruins the photograph for you is uh, I, I is, don't know. Uh, I just uh, didn't understand. I just didn't understand. Why do you need career. to go work for AP, bro? Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I was well, just I, little, it looked it, like he had an awesome job in New York. That's that's all I'm saying. There's I, so many media jobs in New York. I will say that there is like uh, in that final scene we see in one of the the penultimate scene we see him in his new office and it's like you know very clustered it looks like it's not a great place to be and I'm not really sure what the implication is meant to be there are we supposed to take away that he made a mistake because the final scene is her saying you know I'm not trying to be reasonable I want to be with you you know meant to tug at your heartstrings and all and that worked. But like a part of me is like thinking like maybe that dude should just move back <laughs> because like, you know, yeah. the other one, he had an open office plan. Like, you know, <laughs> that place looked nice. Yeah. Damn. Chelsea Peretti seemed like a fun boss. Um, yeah. What, what, what did you guys think of just like how it ended? I mean, I'll, I'll have a couple other questions and points I want to make. But like, did it did it wrap up kind of quick for you guys? Like, I mean, like it seemed like it was kind of like, all right, well, they had some time apart and maybe that was what they needed to just kind of realize, hey, no, we really want to be together. And maybe that just makes sense. But it was kind of like a they, they, a lot happened in that last 15 minutes. How do you think? think it kind of uh, came to its resolution, Lissa? Um, that's a good question, actually. I mean, I really liked the ending because I thought it was sweet, so I mm-hmm. didn't think too much about how quickly it ended. But realistically, um, it probably should have been processed more. But I like the I like the runtime. I probably wouldn't change it too You're much. Right, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I thought it was sweet because, you know, they did banter over Kendrick Lamar and the fact that they came together for his concert. Mm-hmm. It was like, such a, like, bow on top of the present, like, ending for me. I guess it could have fleshed it out more, but for both of them, like, I, I feel like for me, kind of going off what you said, Daniel, like, I think he moved to London because he thought he could get away from his problems, when in reality, kind of when they kind of came together, I think they both mutually realized that they need, if they want good love, they're going to have to work on it. 
And that's kind of why I like the film because it, it felt like a more mature rom-com. Um, so I like the ending. I'm trying to think if I would change it in any way. Cause like, if you saw a text message, that'd be boring. If you saw an email, that'd be boring. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, no it's a grand gesture. It's a movie thing. You know? of it, like a, a really bad FaceTime call or like, you know, a sappy <laughs> FaceTime call. But you know, the fact that it came together with them going to the concert, I think was a pretty sweet ending. Yeah. Did and it, that it beyond like this, this, just, for you, there's just like not a lot of conflict beforehand you know like you know not not, not even a complaint really it's like he you took like- a, he took a job but they'd been on like three dates so it wasn't like anything horrendous that he like took a job <laughs> without consulting her yeah like you know like it's a movie that's about like you know these characters and their lives really honestly the conflict is mostly within each other mm-hmm. not you know with each other up until like you know the last yeah. time they see each other yeah, it's just like a kind of an adult story. Like, you know, sometimes people just have their own stuff going on and it's a matter mm-hmm. of like whether or not you're willing to just like make a sacrifice to make something work because of what you got going on in your life. And I, I if you can if you can make it's a really regular occurrence and if you can make that entertaining and engrossing enough to be a movie, uh more power to you. Uh let me tell you the moment that I thought was like maybe the funniest moment I've seen in a movie in two years. Mm-hmm. Uh and it, it and it involves uh Lil Ray and his wife. Uh but it's not necessarily Lil Ray doing something super funny. It's when he's first telling them about her as someone he might date and he is he's recently got out of a relationship so they're giving him some crap it's like you know are you really ready to be in a relationship again like you know it's you, you might just need to take some time and figure your stuff out and and lakeith is so proud of himself for dating a woman that he sees as more mature and sophisticated than other woman is woman have been with been with that he that than other woman he has been with that he says something to the effect of you know she has a lot going on her mother just died as if he was proud of that fact. And I just like cracked up like so loud in the theater because you could almost see it on his face. Like like the character himself realized how ridiculous he was sounding as he said it. And, and did Lil Rel say something? Lil Rel say something to the effect of like, what, you're going for her just because her mom died? Right. No. And it was it was like he it was like the, he, the character and I think the actor might have just realized how ridiculous the line it, it sounded, but at the same time, that might be something like a younger guy might just kind of think like, oh, she's deep because she's working through real feelings, and like that means I'm in a deep relationship because I'm taking someone, I, I'm really getting to know someone that has deep stuff going on, but it was just such a ridiculous thing to say, but not necessarily something unrealistic to say, but it was just so, it was just hilarious because it's like, it's kind of like a dark darkly comedic moment but i just thought it was i, I don't know I, I just it was the loudest i laughed out loud in a theater in like a, in a year and there was like seven people in my theater so i was probably they probably <laughs> thought i was obnoxious no <laughs> were there were there any other moments that like did stand out to you guys it was like oh that's a really fun f- funny moment or just like another really noteworthy thing we didn't touch on yet Lissa? mine was probably i'm trying to think uh I mean, I love Chelsea Perfetti a lot in this movie too, because I, I'm. It's kind of nice to see her out of sight of her her roles. I think I was laughing because I'm like pretty much almost in the same position. But when Lakeith goes into her office to tell her that you know he's leaving, and he was like, "Can you fire? I mean, can you hire Kelvin's <laughs> uh, character? I forgot his name in the movie. Andy. Andy. As like, can you hire Andy? And she was like, she was like, okay. She was like, mm, probably not though. Probably not. I don't know. It just was. It was very relative, and I think it was funny and. It was nice that he suggested that too, because he showed he cared for the intern. So, I was yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah I appreciate no, that. it was it was Bond. a nice moment because he kind of been dragging him around the whole movie. It's like, come on, man, yeah. do, do something good. Actually, he did kind of like get him his girlfriend too. So maybe he didn't owe him that much. Uh, but right. I mean, it was it was a cool thing that he did. Uh, Daniel, anything? Any other points you want to make about this? Anything I forgot to ask you? Any just anything you want to touch on before we wrap up? Because you guys have hard outs in a minute. 
<laughs> yeah, um, I just, you know, it's a really great movie. It's a really great romance. It's funny. You know, I, I wish it was a little cleaner, the intersection of the two storylines. But, you know, it's very... I, I think of this movie kind of like... I mean, maybe it's just because the Robert Glasper score, but it reminds me a lot of, like, listening to, like, a jazz album, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's... You know, you're taking it in, and, you know, I'm not going to lie. I don't, I don't know exactly what's going on when I'm listening to a jazz record. I don't know much about music theory or anything like that. But, you know, you know it's an experience that you let wash yeah. over you, and yeah. you enjoy the contours and the textures. Uh, it's a movie with a lot of warmth. It's a movie, the kind of movie that... I think back to it and I think about how distinctively it's it looks like it's a movie that's shot on film. And mm-hmm. it's I don't think it is. I think it's a digital movie. But just because of the nature of like, you know, the texture of the score and the performances and the subtlety of those performances, nobody's really playing for like, you know, a big melodramatic moment or anything like that. It's, you know, it's an adult drama. I think of it as a warm, multi-textured work. Yeah. Cool. And I, I don't, one other thing I wanted to um, mention that I'm, I'll mention before we sign off is I, uh, I did really, uh, I thought Courtney B. Vance is also pretty good as her, uh, her stepdad or a guy she grew up thinking was her dad. Uh, I just, he's always really nice when he shows up and stuff. And I just want to shout out the performances again because we didn't talk about them act- as much as I'd even expected to. But like, again, I think Lakeith is like a real revelation, which is surprising to say because I love him and everything he does. But he, he just, he was just doing something different. And I always respect that when actors show me new things. And like, I really bought his chemistry with Issa. I just think um, I'm not as used to seeing Issa like even just do anything that's not a comedy. So it was, uh, I mean, she was in the, the Hate You Give briefly, but like for the most part, she's like doing comedies. And maybe it's just like, I feel like she could probably still like has even more room to improve as a dramatic actress. And I did think she was pretty good. It was just like, mm-hmm. Lakeith was just like best in show for me. And I'm like really glad that he's like even pushing himself to do new stuff even if it's not like like the most uh dramatically heavy stuff or more most uh prestigious affair affair like he brought a lot to this movie um and he's gonna in the next movie he's gonna be and he's gonna be in like a black panthers movie with uh daniel Kaluuya. so i'm excited i think that comes out end of this year or maybe oh black panthers i thought you were saying black panther no no, like, no oh no, man no no like oh and it's because daniel Kaluuya was in black panther but like a movie about like black panthers black panthers Okay. Um, so, I'm in. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm excited for that. Uh, Lisa, before we sign off, anything you want to plug? Letterbox, something else, something else. Like, uh, you, you just you you just plug, plugged like your other, like I think you plugged like a movie or something a couple of days ago or a TV show. But if you have anything else you want to plug, or you can just do your letterbox. Yes, I know. I plugged the. I wanted everyone to watch the new little trailer, whatever. Not trailer. Oh, like the Batman TV. thing. Yeah. <laughs> but speaking of Lakeith, I want to plug. Everyone should watch. Sorry to bother you if they haven't already. It's on Hulu. Oh, it is. And then. Yeah. Speaking of Hulu, Parasite's going to be on Hulu on April 8th, so go watch that. Oh, <laughs> all right. I'm going to be telling everyone I see about that. Being a good Disney yeah. employee. Uh, <laughs> oh, lucky. <laughs> yeah. D- Daniel, what's up? What, anything else you want to plug? Well, it's been a while since I've seen something I really loved. So in keeping with, you know, us talking about a you know black romance, I want to plug uh, Claudine, if anyone can get their hands on it. Uh, mm-hmm. Claudine was a 1970s movie about a single mother who, uh, in I believe Chicago or New York, uh, who ends up falling in love with this garbage guy who plays who's played by uh, James Earl Jones, you know, the voice of Darth Vader and uh, the Claudine, the lead actress. Uh, I forgot her name, but she's like a famous, uh, you know, she's like a famous black actress. She was she actually got an Oscar nomination. I think we just I think movie. you just plugged this like a week ago. Did I? 
I, I feel like we talked, or maybe or it was Diane Carroll. I think we talked about it. Maybe yeah, we talked Diane about Carroll. it offline, maybe. I think yeah. we talked about it. Oh, I think we talked about it offline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if anyone can get their hands on that, you know, go watch that. It's great to see, like, you know, I hate when we talk about that era of, you know, black films. Uh, we just refer to it as black exploitation as if everything was just exploitative. When there was a lot of, there's a, you know, a growth of black artists making movies about the black community, about black issues, uh, in a range of different genres, some of which exploitative, but a lot of it not. Gotcha. Mm. All right. And as usual, uh, I actually, you know, I I will plug something. I, uh, I have, uh, yeah, you know what? No, I I was like, wait, do do it, do it. Let's go. No, no, I know. But like, it's like, I. I, I've actually gotten. I've watched the first four episodes of Hunters on Amazon, but I, I don't even know if I can judge it objectively because it's like you know, just killing Nazis is like you know, it's. I, I just don't know if I can judge it objectively because I just I love watching that happen so much. So it's like, so it's like I, I just I, I, have, I have like such a low bar for that kind of entertainment. It's like yeah, Inglorious Bastards is great, but like I mean that's Quentin Tarantino. This is just like some show on Amazon, and, and like if it was about like something about killing some other hate group, maybe I wouldn't think it was that good. But it's about killing Nazis, and so I'm like there for it, and I'm really enjoying it. So I can't really say if it's good or not, but it's certainly entertaining. So uh, definitely worth checking out. Uh, as usual, I'm on Twitter at Josh Chernovoy, J O S H J U R N O V O Y. The podcast uh, email is rewindmoviepod at gmail.com, and podcast Twitter's Rewind Movie Pod. Uh, so everyone uh, can reach out to us there. Coming up next, I think we'll have podcast probably in the next week on both The Invisible Man and Portrait of a Lady on Fire. So everyone stay tuned for that. Thanks to Lissa and Daniel for joining me, and I'll see you next time.